Welcome to Comfortably Uncomfortable, Not Another Running Story. Thanks for joining us. We don't do small talk here. When we get outside and slightly uncomfortable, we get real, and we aim to continue these conversations here on this podcast. My name is Megan Fanning, and I'm the owner of Zendurance Now Coaching, and I'm joined by Sean Meehan, one of our coaches. Let's talk, let's get uncomfortable, and let's see where the conversation goes. The information in this podcast represents the views and opinions of Zendurance Now only. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice or treatment. We may be right, we may be wrong. Either way, be a solid human. If you're thinking about making a questionable decision, please seek out a qualified medical or psychological professional. Good morning, Sean. How's it going? It's good, Meg. How are you doing this morning? Good so far. Eager to record with you. Talk about grit. Talk about performance. And whatever else comes up. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> so right now, like speaking of grit, I have um, I have a runner out on course in her finishing up her first hundred miler. Um, That's Ghost Train Ultra in New Hampshire. Yep, the only ultra in New Hampshire. I don't know why, but it's, it's um so- that's actually not true. There's a couple um there's a couple other ones, um, but they're they're run more as fat asses and. Um, oh God, there's, um, hamster wheel, which is run in well, I think Bill Connolly does that. Yep. But that's a timed race. That's not a hundred miler per se. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. True. True. Yep. Um, and then like, I, I, we were talking about this the other day, why there's like, I don't know if it's permitting issues or whatever, but the whites would seem like, or th- that area would seem like a great place to have like a real mountain ultra on the East coast. Like yeah. I, it's, I think it's permitting it, permitting issues and resources because the, the rescues and the injuries that would, you know, be likely to happen <laughs> um, um, in the whites, because, you know, people just chronically underestimate um, how gnarly the whites can be. I mean, you can, you can have a hike and it can be fine or, you know, the weather can change and it can be slippery. And, you know, someone can really hurt themselves, and oh my God, those rescue efforts are um, are a lot of work. Well, that being said, they do run this race in the Alps. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called uh, Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. Yes, but again, <laughs> permitting issues. This is New so, Hampshire. Yeah. That's it, um, so. I have. Um, various licenses in this state. And anytime I'm getting licensed in New Hampshire, it takes forever. So I just had another background check done. Um, in my time here, I've lived in New Hampshire for, for five years. Oh, I've probably had over a dozen background checks done. I don't know why they can't just put it in some sort of pool so somebody can access the fact that I'm not a criminal. Um, but anyway, I had a new background check done um, for a new position that I'm taking on. And they're like, oh, yeah, it should um, come in in about six to eight weeks. It's it's not that hard. Um, if I if I get my license in Massachusetts, it costs more, obviously. Um, but I, I can literally, you know, just submit all my materials and get the license within 24 hours. But not New Hampshire. Nope. Live free or die. Live free or die. Everything's slow. And- yes, it is. Painfully. 
but yeah, that's like it. It kills me, right? Like, cause like UTMB has like mandatory gear, so that you mm-hmm. are safe in those environments and like common sense, yes. And um, you you would think that somehow, somewhere, some some brave race director would would champion that. Amy Rusecki, I'm I'm calling on you. I was just gonna say, Sean, maybe that's your next. Uh, maybe that's your next project. I, have, I, do, I do not have that time. Oh, can you, I, the luxury of that amount of time, because it would actually be really fun to do. Dude, um, but yeah, I don't that, have it. That that being said, um, when I said Amy Rosecki, I'm calling on you. I don't think she has that luxury of that much time either. She, that is, that is one busy race director. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah. So uh, I did, one of our uh, listeners reached out to me and wanted to hear more about grit, about grit during races. Um, I guess we can touch on it in, in any other way we want to like get into to that. Um, I think he, he reached out after his race and was talking about his mental fortitude and how the Mm -hmm. training helped prepare him to be mentally strong going into the race, even though his, um, his training window was shortened and stuff like that. And so, so I think, I think that's what we're looking to touch on today. Yeah. So today would be grit part two. And the first time we talked about grit, um, we ended up calling it compassionate grit. It was our second podcast released on May 16th. (laughs) I do not think that, that, um, I don't frankly, I mean, I I'm sure, I can figure out what we said. I don't really remember what we said, so it's not necessary to listen to part one (laughs) before you listen to this. But hey, you know, if you want to listen to part one and then listen to today's podcast to see if we're consistent, that could be good. But Sean and I are both pretty stubborn, so I don't think we changed our minds um, since since May. (laughs) Who knows, Megan? Maybe I've gotten soft in my old age. Hmm, maybe I, I, I maybe. had a bir- I had a birthday since that time frame, so I'm officially older. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that people think about performance, race day, or if if it's an event you're doing, or if it's a goal you have. I mean, it could be you know it could be professional. Um, it it could be you know it could be a race it it could be anything but people think about it as a as like a one day event and and I know you coach like this too but mm-hmm. it's important to start that training start the mental and emotional training just like you would start the physical training so if if it's a big presentation that you have to do at work um when you're writing the presentation practice it say it out loud. And it feels really weird, you know, to, to be standing in your office and, um, you know, either reading something or or practicing out loud. But if you practice that mental portion, it's very easy to carry over for race day. And I know when I'm training for an event, what I often do is I visualize different parts on the course. I visualize the finish line. Um, it, it, Even, you know, even my, um, you know, my drop bags, I have all that in mind. So when race day comes around, it's, it's not that much of a surprise. I mean, stuff 
I, my motto is hope for the best and plan for the worst. Stuff always happens. Things change. But when you prepare mentally, it's it's much easier to carry it out. It's not just something you're going to do, you know, once your once your event comes. Yeah, there's the right the adage uh, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> right, and so I I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I I prep races. Right, like I have spreadsheets, which sounds mm-hmm. this. The amount of like work that I put into like prepping a race outside of the training aspect going into the race. I have spreadsheets. Typically I have mm-hmm. all my drop bags organized. I like break things down to like calorie counts. And the reason I do that is because other stuff is going to arise during the race. Right. And so this at least removes one aspect of things that can be chaotic and cause your cause a drain on your mental fortitude. Cause when it comes down to it, right. The, the, you know, it's a, take another running cliche is the longest distance that you're going to run an ultra marathon is the point between your ears. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so like if I can remove those, those barriers by having that prepped and like giving my crew good instructions and all that stuff, then all I have to do is focus on one foot in front of the other and mm-hmm. know that even when like the shit hits the fan, like I just got to get to that next aid station, then we can reset, and then we can do it again. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes you're running, running a race like by like aid station, aid station. Sometimes it's mile by mile. Sometimes it's, I mean, depending on what the race is, like minute by minute. You know, you just kind of got to grind it out and see see where you're at. So one of my athletes. Um, just recently ran the the Hartford half marathon. And we were talking about this before the race. And by the way, big, big shout out to Scott because he nailed it uh, to the point where it actually gave me a, a, a literal jaw drop when I saw his time. But we were talking before the race and I said, look, I said this, and, and this was a very important race for him. I remember we said, everything you've got Put it into this race. I mean, we came up with, you know, we came up with a ballpark, you know, time for him to hit. But I said, I think we both knew he could run a little bit faster. So I said, you know, just take take the first take the first part easy. And, you know, then once you hit this certain certain mile mark, just go. Just give it everything you have. And a, a visual that I like to hold in my head is when I'm running the race and I start to get really tired and that pain starts to set in. I think about when I'm home and I'm showered and I'm in clean clothes and what it what I'm going to think about. What am I going to think about when when I'm cleaning up, the race is over, am I going to think that I was strong? Am I going to think that I wimped out? Am I going to think that I gave it everything that I had? And when I just start to visualize myself in the future, it really does help me really does help me dig in. And that's one of the things that, that Scott and I talked about before his race. And apparently he did it because, uh, yeah, he, he nailed it. And the, the other thing I can think of recently is actually it wasn't recently, it was a couple years ago. Um, but when I was getting my paramedic certification, we have to do a number of practicals, meaning that we have to perform um, and verbalize different medical procedures um, in front of our instructors, um, in front of, you know, for in order to get out of school. And then you also have to do it at the national level. 
um, to, to get your license. So, gosh, I think it was a series of six stations. So I practiced and I practiced and I practiced. Like I would go to work and I'd pull out I'd pull out a CPR dummy. I'd give my partner um, the script. I literally had it memorized. I'd walk through. I'd, th- I, you know, I'd tell my partner to, you know, just give me different medical scenarios, and I practiced it and I said it out loud. Um, I, I just did it again and again and again. And for me, it was actually just saying it out loud, doing the motions, having somebody else. Um, you know, throw curveballs at me. Um, and I nailed it. I absolutely nailed it. Um, you know, when I had to do these scenarios and countless scenarios over, over a few months, um, just, it felt, it felt like forever, but, um, just, you got to go through the motions. You got to rehearse it. Yeah. I I think that touches on two aspects that I think is important to talk about when we're talking about grinding it out and grit and especially like when it comes to um, race day situations and stuff like that. One is if you're doing a physical endeavor where you're attempting to perform at a top level, it's going to hurt. It's supposed to hurt. And I think, I think sometimes some people mentally check out when that hurt happens, right? You can do all the training in the world and your training can occur in a way that never really got you to the point where things really, really hurt or, you know, um, you took your training to, um, you, you, you cruise through your training and then you get to race day and things hurt and things suck and you pull the plug because of it. Um, all right. So I have this thing going in my head right now and Remember in Roadhouse, and I'm, I think it was Sam Elliott. Roadhouse. Sam Elliott. Yeah, but, <laughs> or, or Patrick Swayze. When, when, which one? I think it's Sam Elliott. Oh, my God. That, that says, pain don't hurt. <laughs> when you were talking, that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm hearing in my head. Pain don't hurt. <laughs> um, what you're talking about, just just to get a little a little bit nerdy, taps into the central governor theory, um, and Tim Noakes Tim Noakes talks a lot about this, and and what Noakes is is saying is that there's there's a part of our brain that that you know obviously registers pain and identifies you're hurt, this sucks, you need to stop, and that part of your brain is telling you to shut down way before you physically need to shut down. And it's telling you that um, because it basically just is in is in survival mode. Um, but you're not going to die. It just your brain does not want you to be uncomfortable. So it you know, it's really important to push through, um, you know, that central governor that's that's trying to get you to stop. Because because you won't die, most likely. I mean, it, you know, if <laughs> if there are some medical issues or something going on, that's a whole nother thing. But our society has us um, conditioned around comfort. And I mean, I'm all for, you know, being comfy cozy and I'm not going to complain about that. But, you know, our our life is air conditioned and heated and cushioned. And, you know, right now I'm in a house with walls that are protecting me from, you know, from the weather outside. And we we live 
very comfortable, privileged lives. So when we're doing these sort of endeavors, whether it's, you know, whether it's race or, you know, mental, um, whatever it is, it's uncomfortable and we're not, we're not used to being uncomfortable. We're a bunch of big sissies, Megan. Yeah. Speak for yourself. (laughs) Well, well, that, I mean, so I think that's part of it is the, the, um, central governor theory, um, that Noakes, you know, postulated prior to his insanity. Um, (laughs) and, and I think that that definitely plays into it. And I think some of it is, I think some of it is even in the, in the event itself, people get to a point and they're like, they, they just give up because it hurts. Right. Like like if, if you, if you don't, if you somehow have tricked yourself into thinking that running a marathon is not going to hurt at any point during the race or like, <laughs> like marathons or, are the worst or like a hundred <laughs> miler is not going to hurt or what? I mean, maybe, maybe it's a 5k, like running a 5k hard is not going to hurt or Ooh, that's even worse. Um, then like, I mean, like, yeah, like, you're going to, you're going to pull the plug. Like a 5k is different than a hundred miler, right? Like a 5k different kind of pain, but they both hurt. Right. But what I'm running it hard. Yeah. What what I'm saying is you can pull the plug by just coasting it in, right? Like you Mm -hmm. can be like, I can, it's a lot. If you've been training, running a 5k, the mental fortitude to keep up the high level effort where it hurts for the entire time (sighs) is, is hard. Yes, but, it is. Yeah. Fin- but finishing a 5K by DNFing a 5K is is not it's not hard to finish a 5K. You just it's just you're like, oh, I'm not going to run hard today. You just mail it in. But when it when you get to the ultra distance level, right, like that pain level is for a long period of time that you're going to be at this very discomforting and you, you can't. You can't just slow it down because at a certain point, you're most people are are walking or shuffling along. Anyways, it's not like you can get slower to make it less painful, right? So, so people just cash it in at that point instead of mentally toughing it out. It's this is going to sound a little hokey, but I, I think it's sort of. I think it's sort of a lifestyle because it isn't just something you wake up and do one day. Right. You can't just wake up and be like, oh, I'm going to be tough today and and I'm going to perform. It's every single day. Like, how do you how do you perform at work? Are you just are you just trying to skate by? Are yeah. you um, are you cutting corners? What are you doing with your kids? What are you doing with your nutrition? Um, how do you um how do you support your friends? That that carries over into into all of our athletic endeavors as well. And when you know we have when we're training we have hard days we have easy days right so on those easy days you know we sh- we should be taking it easy because there is value in recovery i think that's the, that's another podcast right there but on those hard days um do you remember when i was training for i this just popped into my head training for the um 888 and i was trying to come up with ideas of just different things i could do to um, practice mental toughness. And one of the grand ideas you gave me, which I did, um, 
was waking up because I'm not I'm not a morning person. Um, but you had me waking up like pre-dawn um, for I don't know how many days in a row I did it um, and, and getting my run done. And it was miserable because I'd be, uh, you know, running around my neighborhood at like three o'clock in the morning. It was insane. It was stupid. But come race day, you know, I, I was running at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Right. I was running at two o'clock in the morning by myself. I was running um, in the woods when it was raining and it was and it was uncomfortable and I'd practiced it. It wasn't a surprise. Um, and it, it training like that, it was was definitely um, it was more exhausting than, you know, had I done my run at, you know, normal wake up time. But you know, but factoring in, you know, factoring in that emotional exhaustion was was an important piece because I I knew that okay, whatever happens, I'm going to be able to handle it and I'm going to be okay. Well, in that regard, I mean, think about um, I remember when Lance Parker was training and he's like, I slept on my porch in the winter time, like, <laughs> yeah, I right? like I, I remember saying to him because he was talking about he was talking about about running on sleep deprivation. And I was like, dude, I have four kids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, and, and two jobs, I'm so familiar with sleep deprivation. That was something that, um, that I didn't need to practice. <laughs> so, but, but, um, but yeah, I do. I do remember talking to him about that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's taking it to, to probably an extreme, but that being said, He's one of the few finishers of that 88K. Mm -hmm. So you bet. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's a pretty talented young man, anyways. But um, definitely shows that like grit and like fortitude and the willingness to like to train that way too. And I think you've touched on that in at several points so far. Is like you know we practice to do this. We practice to do this. We yep. practice to do this. Not a surprise. And we practice. We practice to have mental fortitude. Um, I had a runner that just completed a race. And like I said, he had, um, he's the, he's the one that suggested he wanted, wanted to touch on this topic again. Um, because a lot of his, his, his training block was shortened just cause I think he had kind of a hard time getting going because of life and, uh, work and other stuff. And then where he's at, um, there was just a lot of environmental obstacles that he had to deal with between um, weather and air quality and whatever, just a, just a bunch of issues that he had to like wrestle with um, on top of his work routine and um, his family routine and trying to just get the workouts in and, and how to like push it all together. And his mental fortitude during the race is what got him through a race that he wasn't as physically prepared to uh, accomplish as as he could have been had he had another four to eight weeks of training. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. But he, but the the weeks that he did have, like he had to like, I mean the the guy like spent hours in stairwells in his in his building going up and down stairs like to prepare for the race because where he lives is super flat and um and the the way the course is laid out, there's a, that's how weird the trail is. There's a ton of stairs on the trail. So like mm -hmm. 
race specificity and like get them on the stairs. We'll we'll do that. Um, and I think I think having all that helped prepare them mentally because there's I mean there's very few things that are probably more boring than um, the treadmill. I don't know if going up and down stairs is one of them, but it, it might be. Yeah, I, I'm recalling our conversation uh, two podcasts ago with Sarah Cadell, and she she was talking about all these amazing adventures, um, you know, um, with, with K2 and Kilimanjaro. And that's, if you haven't heard that podcast, definitely go back and listen. But the, the grit that, that always, um, impresses me about Sarah is she has a goal. She'll pick a trip, um, a year in advance and then, and then she saves. So do you remember her saying like she doesn't have Netflix? Um, she doesn't have, you know, she doesn't have any of those things because she's saving her money. She doesn't eat out. Um, she's always working. She's doing odd jobs trying to raise money for whatever adventure she's training for. That's part of the grit, too, because she's not going to say, well, yeah, I, I can't really afford to to go to Nepal. Um, maybe I'll do it in a few years. Yeah. Um, you know, while she's sitting on her couch, you know, watching Netflix and eating and eating takeout, she goes, well, no, how, how do I make this happen? And she cuts every single corner. Um, and that that impress that impresses me about her. She's just solid, committed. And, you know, her commitment to the adventure begins, you know, years prior. Well, there's there's part of that, right? The singleness of purpose, singleness of focus mm-hmm. that um, exists. And now, I mean, there's people that take it to to the extreme and probably have some, some issues with that. Like if you were mm-hmm. to like, not to, not to throw out names, but like if you were to look at someone like David Goggins, for example, how did like, I know you were going to go there? Oh dude, I know I got a sticking point. Like, but um, <laughs> I just, I think, I think there's, there's a balance to life. And I, I don't know if, I don't know if that like, that he, well, he portrays that very well the, or has so that personally. He is, undeniably, undeniably tough as hell. Right. And he has, and he has chosen this, this lifestyle for himself and, you know, more, more power to him. I have found, and and I have learned this the hard way because, you know, I am very type A, um, you know, whether it's, it's actually all aspects of my life. Right. And if I, if I were to pull a full-on David Goggins, right, and I'm going to go out and do that, then I cannot be present at work, okay? Whether it's, you know, and it's, and that's not an option. I mean, literally have people's lives in my hands. <laughs> um, I can't go to work tired, okay? I can't go to work hung- hungry. can't go to work limping, okay? That's um, a, you know, it's a safety issue. But also, when I've trained at a really high capacity, it does take a toll on your family life, and you have to you have to just weigh the pros and cons. And if it's temporary, then I can say, you know, I can say to my family, no, this is this is not going to be forever. I mean, like you know, like when I was back in school, um, it I get I get pretty intense um, when I'm studying, and. But, you know, my kids, you know, my kids knew that I was working towards this goal. And, you know, when I got there, you know, things would change. You know, I I always hate the word balance because it implies that we've reached a point in our life where we're content and where we go, oh, yeah, this is I'm totally balanced. And I don't know that I ever feel like that. I feel like balance is 
is accepting that there's a person, place, or thing in your life that's sucking more resources than something else. And then when that passes, it shifts again. So, you know, something else in your life is, you know, is is calling on more resources. And with with kids and work and athletics, school, um, whatever's going on in my life, that shift needs to be fluid. It can't always be in one direction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like we've discussed, balance isn't necessarily about having equal time or opportunity for everything in your life, but it's about having proper priorities laid out, right? Right. Addressing those priorities as they are necessary, which might be like your priority, you know, might at a time be a race or like be fitness based or whatever. Um, I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think with family and a real job, um, that that is ever necessarily the number one priority in anyone's life. But uh, it certainly will hold a higher priority than, say, um, cleaning the house or like house maintenance yeah. or mowing the lawn yeah. or whatever the case may be. You know, that will high, be a higher priority than that. And so sometimes the lawn doesn't get mowed or sometimes weeds don't get picked out of the, the garden um, mm-hmm. because of, because you're like, well, I can run four hours today and then spend time with the family and get my work done or whatever the case may be. And, or I can weed the garden and mow the lawn and spend time with the family. Cause right. Most of the time family and work are going to take precedent over everything else. Cause without work, you ain't putting food on the table and without family, if you have family, your life is probably going to feel pretty empty in some regard. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm really, I'm I'm thinking about what we do, you know, as coaches. And it's not like, it's not like prior to race day, we're talking to one of our athletes and giving them like some pep talk or motivation talk. I mean, that's, I actually don't believe in motivation. What, what, what I try to teach is drive. And why are you doing this? What's your, what's your why, right? So when I'm waking up at three o'clock in the morning to go, to go run in the dark, why, why, why does it, why does it matter? And because motivation, I mean, yeah, sure. It's, it it may be great for a moment, um, but it fades. And what do you do when it fades? So we don't just give, (laughs) we don't just give pep talks like, yeah, you can do this, blah, 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 blah. I mean, okay. Um, it's practicing again and again and in making that commitment in your life. And like I said a few minutes ago, I don't know that you can do that in a vacuum with just one aspect of your life. Um, I try to, I, I really do try to carry it over into all aspects of my life. And I got to be honest, I've burnt out many times in my life because of, because of this attitude. So, you know, the full on David Goggins, while I respect him, um, I can't do it because, you know, I, I would get injured and tired and cranky and, and also again, not, not be able to do my job or be present for my family. Um, but just trying to, trying to carry that over, you know, what, what matters to you and what are you doing today to demonstrate that? Right. And I, that's, that's part of the, the, aspect of grit that it's not just 
having a gritty race. It's being able to grind out that hard workout and then suck it up buttercup and be present for work or your family or whatever the case may be. Right. That's, that's part of it is not, not letting what is arguably for most of the people probably listening to this podcast, a hobby become the, become a detriment to the rest of the quality of your life. Yeah. And I mean, I've done that. I I've made that mistake. And I think that's, I think that's just crossing the line. Um, you know, in the words of Johnny Cash, we walk the line. Right. And I have gotten burned <laughs> by, by going too far on one side. Would so, that be in a ring of fire? Yes, totally. Completely. That is what happens. I just go, I spontaneously combust and it's usually my husband or one of my friends that says, you're probably doing too much, Megan. <laughs> um, you know, in and and actually, in all seriousness, I got called on that the other day. Um, so at work, um, at my therapist job, I my schedule was just jam packed, and I had one day where I saw way too many clients, and I was just absolutely 100% flattened. And, uh, and I was talking to our office manager about it the next day. And he's like, he's like, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. He goes, you might want to, you might want to just allow yourself a break or time for lunch, because I think I had started at seven and I finished at eight. Um, and I hadn't eaten, I hadn't, but I can get that singleness of focus and it's, but it's not good for me and it's not good for the people I'm working with. But again, lesson learned. Um, ring a fire. I just burned. <laughs> well, that I mean, we've talked and um, I've touched on like the fact that I have a new position in my company and a new new job scope. And um, one of my coworkers has essentially been more or less MIA for the past three weeks. One of it was like he was sick. The next week he was in training. This week he's on vacation. And we kind of share the same responsibilities. And so since he's been gone, my days have gone from what my normal work hours are to like me trying to pile everything into that day. Cause I'm like now like handling essentially twice the workload, right? With like, right. with the resources that, that are available. And, um, you know, I've, I, I tell people, I like, I like my days just, I call the wife on the way home and I'm like, yeah, I'm 45 minutes late. I'm an hour late. Like this is, mm-hmm. this is just where I'm at. Like I just needed an extra hour at work. I've come in early every day to work to get, to get stuff done prior to things getting crazy. Um, and that's, that's just the way it is. I can't wait till he's back next week. It'll be the best. <laughs> um, cause, cause I, I cause what you're saying is about being burnt out and um, happens. Like I, I told, I mean, some of it I projected, which was like probably not the best way to go into it. Dealing with um, proper mental attitude. I, I knew it was going to be rough. And um, I told my wife, I was like, this is going to suck. And um, <laughs> not, not necessarily the best, best way to go about um, dealing with it. And then you're in it. It's, I guess it's good to know it, it's going to suck. Probably, probably projecting how bad it's going to suck is probably not the best way to, 
to to attack it. But but doesn't that fall into the category of hope for the best and plan for the worst? You're planning for the worst. Yeah, I mean, but like when it makes you miserable about what you're doing, mm, vice, yeah. vice yeah. being being like, well, I guess like I guess it is. It's just what it is, right? Like like Cordy always says, like it can't always get worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's I, that's three cliches in one episode, Meg. Yeah, I'm right. A, God, I'm on a roll. Yeah, it's early. <laughs> it. I don't know. It. I have been struggling lately with with finding that. Again, I'm trying not to say balance, but just finding the finding where I need to be. How I take. Yeah, yeah. With with work. Um, work and family and, um, my recovery. And, and it's just, um, things are, things are different right now. So what worked for me a year ago, um, I really have to, I really have to adjust right now. And I often find my hard days because I'm dealing with, um, clients in my therapy office or, or patients, um, in an ambulance, I never know when I'm going to have a hard day. I mean, sometimes I can predict it, you know, because certain things, you know, certain things are more likely to happen in certain situations. But some days at the end of the day, I was like, oh, that's, that's, that was actually an okay day. And other days, at the end of the day, I can, you know, barely speak because I'm so tired and had no idea what was, what was going to hit me. And I constantly tell my patients, like, look, you, you just got to take care of yourself. And it's, and it's the basics. Um, I can't come to work if I'm tired. I can't come to work if I haven't eaten. <laughs> I can't be dehydrated at work. And the other thing that's really important for me, and, and this is, this is pretty hard because I'm not a morning person, but I'm a, I'm a night person that's been forced into a morning person's schedule, but I exercise every single day before I go to work. And it's early. It's dark. I don't want to. But a couple hours later, when I'm sitting with somebody and trying to do my job, my head is so much clearer. So part of like, grit implies grit implies like event performance toughness. But I think it's it has to encompass um, preparation and just you know the willingness to try to try to adapt um even when even when it's uncomfortable because I do not want to exercise before five o'clock in the morning. I just I don't think, it stinks. <laughs> it's just I, it's not my thing. <laughs> I think that that is a, a fucking solid solid way to say it, willingness to adapt, right? That's mm. that's part of it, right? Yeah. Um like you said, like I you have to train before before work. If you want to have race day performance, or you want to, mm-hmm. if that's an important aspect of your life, how do you fit it in? Where do you fit it in? Right. And being able to do that or figure out where it fits and not making bullshit excuses. Like I'm not a morning person. Like, so right. therefore I can't do this. Well, yeah, you can, you adapt to mm-hmm. that situation. Yep. Like, like for me, it's some days I get out of work and I'm like mentally exhausted and mm-hmm. being mentally exhausted is at least I, I'd almost argue harder to get out there and do a workout than being physically exhausted. 
Um, especially yeah. when you're looking at like endurance type events. But stuff. that's when you need it the most. Exactly. When and you're mentally what, exhausted. You need, saying, even if, and it doesn't have to be a hard workout. It's just like finding movement. Yeah. Right. And, and I've never, like I said, you, you go out and you, I've never had a workout that I was like, oh, this was like, this made the day worse. Um, but being able to like grind through that and adapt to the fact that like, okay, maybe today's workout, maybe I can't do speed today because of whatever the case may be. Like my, I'm too mentally exhausted. I'm physically exhausted. Um, you know, the baby was up all night crying. Uh, I got stuck at work and hour late and now it's I don't excuse, have the time it's to excuses, do it. Right? It's right, excuses, right? It's all excuses. Yeah, like maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe you're like, I can't do X workout today has prescribed, but I still get out and I can do the workout and then I can put the other, that workout on the back burner to tomorrow. And mm -hmm. maybe, maybe I have to do the workout before I go to work tomorrow so that I can be ready so I can fit it into the day. Cause I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. I was thinking as you were talking, I'm not preparing for, for any races right now. I mean, I'm in recovery, getting my body back, working, um, working way too much. So, so for me, that almost some days requires more grit because why get up and why exercise if and work out and do things I don't want to do um, if, if there's, there's no performance to it. Right. right. This, this is, this is all for, um, recovery. And that's, that some days, some days that's, that's a bit of a struggle, but then it, it circles back to, I have decided that this is how I'm going to live. <laughs> it is not comfortable for, for me to wake up in the morning and, and, work out before work. So right now I'm not training for any race and that actually makes it harder on a day-to-day -day basis because why get up in the morning? Why lift weights? Why do core work? Those are, those are all three things I don't like. Um, why do that if, if there's no performance involved, but it, for me, it centers around trying to be as healthy as I possibly can. Um, I do a lot. I often burn the candle at both ends and being strong emotionally and physically is my grit. <laughs> I have to, I have to. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I guess, I guess technically I don't have to, I could just curl up on the couch and, and do whatever I want, but that's not the quality of life I want to live. Right. I think that's the way a lot of people live life is curled up on the couch. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, my days, not to, I don't, not to compare anything to anyone else, but my days start early. I like go until it's late and then I get a solid eight hours sleep. Like, and it just rinses and repeats day in, day out, week in, week out. And it's always that way. Um, it's, it's way nicer now that I'm on on a regular day shift job. Um, sleep, my, is, sleep is nice. Sleep I, really helps. It's a total game changer having like a regular night's sleep. My, my recovery is, is much better. Yeah. Um, but that being said, it did pose some other uh, challenges to the life because the ability to be 
present in my family's life and be present in uh, those activities are now now more abundant than they were before, right? Like if I had to work and my family had stuff going on on the weekend, it didn't matter. Like I didn't have to be a part of it because like I had other stuff going, like I had to go to work. Like the work was the, the priority in a lot of those regards. Um, and so, so now it's, it's trying to find that balance, that balance in, 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 in that, and in figure out, eye roll. yeah. And, and where the, where the priorities lie on a given day. Um, and that's part of it is like figuring out how that fits, right. That's part of the grit. That's part of, part of that training aspect. Um, don't you like think you, it's harder when our kids, our kids are getting older because you know, when they're babies or toddlers, you have to take care of them, right? It's, you know what you have to do. Like they can't be left alone. You have to yeah. feed them. You have to bathe them. Now my, my kids are, my kids are older and they, they can do things on their own. You know, they, they can shower, they can feed themselves. They can do many things, but we're still needed. Our, yep. our presence, like we still have to be there. And sometimes I often struggle with like, what, what, how much do I actually need to be around? You know, when, when do I need to be here? Um, when do my kids not need me? It, it's not as cut and dry as it was when they were, when they were little. Yeah. I don't know. If I, maybe it's cause I'm selfish. <laughs> I think, I think it's, my kids are at that age where like, it's good, right? Like I can leave them by themselves and they can, and they can be sufficient. And, you know, we have both my wife and I have opportunity to do things where one of us doesn't have to be on top of the kids to make sure that right. like that they do those things, right. That they can go ahead. Um, and we can leave them for a while while like I go run and maybe she goes and does work stuff or does Pilates or whatever she's doing at that time. Um, or maybe it's, maybe it simply is like, we can leave one of them by themselves while the other one, ha we take the other one through whatever practice they have to do. Right. Like, yeah. I think that makes, that makes it so, so much easier. Um, it, it is, but it's, but it's a question of when do we need to be present and when we don't need to be present. Yeah. Again, when they're little ones, pretty much all the time, someone needs to be with them all the time, but now they don't have the, the physical needs of a little kid, but oftentimes their emotional needs can be higher just, just based on, just based on what's going on. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I took, um, I took my daughter with me. Like I said, I, I, at the beginning of this podcast, I have a runner currently racing as we're speaking this morning. Um, and I took her out, my daughter out to the, to the, to the race. And, oh, um, Fiona went over to get to ghost train, huh? Yeah. And she was, <laughs> she was, she was hanging out there and, you know, <laughs> Kind of, kind of taking it in. It's, and it's like a, right. It's, she, I mean, she was, she hung out and drew on her iPad for a lot of it. Um, but was kind of involved in like what was going on to a certain extent and in present, um, and got to be, got to see, see it from a different perspective. Like she, she's been to my races and she's seen my races, but it's always like, uh, like. 15 minutes they're there before I come into an aid station. They're there for 15 minutes while they're packing up and leaving to go to a next aid station. Mm -hmm. And maybe she hits like two aid stations before it's like 
dropping her off back at a house or somewhere else where she's not present at the race. This time she was like at a race for eight hours, like watching people like run through the same, same aid stations. Um, and like being around that, um, being around a bunch of other runners that I know so that they, you know, came over and talked to me and, you know, talked to the people that I was with and being involved in that whole aspect. And I think it gave her, um, a different perspective of the race environment. And then on top of that, because driving from Connecticut to New Hampshire is a two hour drive for, for where the race was, we had a two hour on the way up. She pretty much just drew on her iPad, but on the way back, she, we had a two hour discussion, like right. Talking to the emotional needs of like the kids at, at their age. And, um, and that was like something that like probably doesn't happen too often with a lot of parents, right? Like kids in and out, but like uh, having a two hour discussion with your like daughter, your almost teenage daughter of like where she is in life and like how that is, is like, I don't know, pretty, I, I think that's, I think that was pretty awesome. Okay. So I have a funny ghost train story. I remembered it when you were talking when Bill ran ghost train, we didn't live in New Hampshire at the time. So my youngest was probably seven or eight. And, uh, and we can we, we got a hotel room up here. Um, and we came and crewed for bill. Um, I had the minivan at the time. So, so what, what we used to, what we used to do is put all the seats down in the minivan, um, and we could set up sort of like a crew pit stop back there. So we had a mattress back there and, you know, so, so, she, you know, it was, it was fun. I have really fun memories of she, of she and I sleeping in the minivan, um, you know, while, while we were waiting for, for Bill to do his loops and, and whatnot. And anyway, so Bill finished one of his, one of his legs and his IT band was really hurting him. And I said, you know, you and you and I have done this before. I said, hey, listen, I can I, I can work on your IT band, but it's going to hurt, but it'll work. Right. You, you know what we do. You know, you, you know how we pull somebody's IT band out. Right. So anyway, so Bill gets on the ground and it's dark and it's raining and it was just just miserable. But he's in our little tented area. And Maeve is sort of walking around doing her thing. I'm working on Bill's IT band. And and Bill, this hurts so bad. It, Bill probably had uh, had tears in his eyes and he was gritting his teeth. And I'm trying to just release his IT band. Maeve walks behind him. And there was one of those, you know, those square plastic things of water. What are they, like five gallons, three yep. gallons? Yeah, five gallons, I think. <laughs> so Bill's laying on the ground. Maeve did something and knocked that, that box of water or the plastic box of water over. And it landed on Bill's head as he was on the ground. And Bill, and Bill was like, it like rocked his world. He was like, Whoa. The heck? And I'm trying not to laugh because now not only does his IT band hurt, but he was almost probably given a concussion with my daughter walk, you know, knocking a big square of, of water over onto his head. And then I noticed there's this guy across the way, because you know how there's like that dirt road and people set up on different sides of that dirt road. The guy across the way in the dirt road was just watching this whole event play out. And he's just laughing. I mean, he just has tears in his eyes watching the three of us. And and then Maeve is crying because she just 
knocked a big thing of water on her dad's head. Bill's on the ground in pain from his IT band and now trying to, you know, get his head straight. Probably knocked over the head. Probably apologizing to me being really, what the fuck are you doing? I know. And, and, and I'm in I the know that's my the, reaction. Well, that's what he was about to do. Yeah. And, but she was already crying because she felt so bad. And so I'm trying to handle the situation. I'm trying to keep Bill calm, tell him he's going to be all right. Tell Maeve, daddy's okay. It's all right. It's okay. <laughs> but anyway, uh, she 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 also had fun at that event. And still to this day, she loves to hand out candy to runners. That's one of her favorite things to do. Um, so she had she had candy that day um, that she was, you know, that she was giving out and like basically chasing runners down. Like, here, you want a lollipop or here you want, you know, you want this, you want that. And it, so, <laughs> yeah, that was um I, I'm surprised she didn't die that day. I, I that, <laughs> that whole that thing was that thing was so heavy and I, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, kids are racist. Oh, and then, then You're, the first. Did you say, did you say your kids are racist? <laughs> no, I said kids at races. So another awful memory. Um, the very first, <laughs> um, the very first half, um, or no, it was Olympic distance triathlon that I ever did. Um, was in Connecticut many, many years ago, and it was up in Litchfield. So the hills are just insane. Um, and I made it through this triathlon. There's a road triathlon. It was so hard. Yeah, God, I just, those hills dang near killed me. And it took everything I had to finish. And I finished. And again, I'm psyched because I finished. And I'm psyched because it was um, such a hard triathlon. And I crossed the finish line and I swear to God, I felt like I just wanted to go sit next to a tree and just lay there and just die and cry. Like I was that tired. I just, just freaking wanted to die. And my kids were waiting for me in the finish shoot. Like, yay. Oh, I'm so happy. Look, my whole family's here. So I make it, I make it cross the finish line, go through the shoot. And two of my kids were arguing over a donut. And they caught me and they're like, he, he took the last, he took the last donut. I was supposed to be able to have it. it. I thought I was going to kill him. I looked, I looked at the kids and I was like, get away from me now. (laughs) I mean, it's like, and, and I looked at my husband, I said, get them away from me. But, but, but the donut and I was supposed to have it. And they, so having kids that grow up around these races, there was no significance to them. Like they didn't care. They didn't care how hard I ran. They cared that, um, someone stole a donut that, that they were supposed to have. And it was really important for me to solve this fight between the two of them, right. As I was going through the finish shoot. So yeah, I didn't kill my kids that day, but it was, it was pretty close. Yeah. It's, it's, it's different. Yeah. Having kids <laughs> at races. I mean, having, having family at races is, is a whole is different. Sometimes there's, there's, like I said, I've, I've talked about it before. There's like been times where there's no one I wanted to see more in the world than my wife at a race. And then there's times that I was like, mm, probably would have been better if she wasn't here. Like, you know what I mean? And like, it's just, yep. it, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's just, 
just depends on the moment and the way it is and the way the race is going and whatever. Um, but, uh, but I think that's just, just part of the, the whole, whole situation. Uh, and it's hard all to have, it's, it's hard to have family crew for you. Um, I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying it, there's a whole nother, there's a whole nother group of issues that, that, that comes at, that comes into play. Like I can remember one time Bill was pacing me and I was in a really bad place and I got so mad at him because he was running too loudly. Like his feet were making too much noise in the sand. You've told me this. <laughs> Why like, are you running in the sand? Just run on the pavement. Yeah. Like what's, he was going, and I was in such a bad place. And now would I have, would I have snapped and yelled at another human being that was my husband for making so much noise um, with their feet? I don't know, <laughs> but you need, I guess you need somebody that, that can tolerate, tolerate that level of it's bullshit. You know, your runner is like a cranky, is it like a cranky sick kid? Yeah. Um, and, but my, I know my husband is probably more likely to go, Megan, shut the hell up. Whereas one of my friends probably would just ignore me and not say anything and just move out of the sand, you know, yeah. knowing that I was being an asshole, right? Just, you know, I'm crabby. I'm trying to push through. Um, yeah. 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 So it's, what do you, what do you need in that moment? Do you need somebody to, do you need somebody to give you a hug? Um, or do you need somebody to, to tell you you're being a baby? And, yeah. and to be tougher, you don't, you can't predict that. You can't, I don't think you can predict that at, at, you know, prior to an event. No, I mean, the, the important thing is if you do have a uh, family crew, you for an event that they understand that they will see you in a bad position, they will see you in yeah. a bad way and not to be surprised and not to be like, well, you know, you can really hang it up for the day. Cause I, so that was a discussion I had, um, with one of my runners, family members, I was like, look at your spouse may come in here totally destroyed and looking like garbage. And you just got to be like, you look great. Keep going, yep. keep smiling. Like, and yep. it's, it's not about how you feel about anything. It's about getting them to the finish line. Now, if yeah. yours, if your if your spouse comes in and you know they're they're physically injured and they can't run anymore, then you take an emotional support. But like the rest of the time, it's just suck it up, Buttercup. It's not about the way you feel about the situation. It's a way that they're they're doing the event. You get them to that. You got to take your spouse self out of it and think about it has anyone else in the world getting them to what their goal is you know and you got to take think, yeah yeah that that yeah. emotional side out of it it's hard to see it's hard to see somebody you love um really seriously uncomfortable or in pain but again what's the why why yeah. why are they doing that is it is it for a job? Is it, you know, something that they're working on for the family? Is it some research they're doing? Is it a race that they're doing? And I'm totally okay with, with seeing my, my, my loved ones, um, uncomfortable in the name of a bigger goal. I don't have any problem doing that. Um, but. right. Especially when you've seen 
the work that it's taken to get there, right? Like, exactly. Yeah. It's it's one of those things that like, and I, and with like the way COVID is now, um, where it's, it's like it's just now part of our life. But like the fact that like you may train for months and then get sick a week before a race and it might fuck your entire race. And like, it's, it's a really weird thing. And that can happen in any time you're training for anything. You can roll your ankle like the week before a race you can like, or like a month before a race, right? Like you can, you can get in a car accident and have like a broke, what it doesn't matter. Like there's, there's a billion different things that can happen uh, the week before the race. But when you get to race day, if you pull the plug after all that hard work that you put into it because of like feeling emotionally sad or like having someone like, like co-sign your bullshit in the moment, like that just, it's like, it's like a, like I said, like as a spouse, like you just tell them like, look, everything looks good. You're good. Nothing's, mm-hmm. nothing's wrong here. Keep going. Cause, cause they put all that work into like, to give it up on, on something as frivolous or stupid as like a momentary decision when you're like, have a moment of mental weakness or emotional weakness is just, yeah. just heartbreaking. That is, that is more heartbreaking than having a tragic end where like you roll an ankle or you break a freaking leg or whatever the case may be that, that, cause that's a momentary out of weakness and how many people have pulled bibs sat for a half an hour and then wish they could put that bit back on and go back out that's that's why i think ahead to what am i going to feel like when i'm home in the shower eating or even or even driving away from the race what are you going to what are you going to think about afterwards and how are you going to how are you going to view the performance you're in right now you know later are you going to be pleased with yourself or are you going to th- are you going to think you wimped out I always, I always think I wimped out, even if I actually had a good performance. I was, I've looked back over, um, my recent race at grindstone and right. You, you start to, I don't know. I, I nitpick races, um, over, over analyze things and try and figure out how I could have been better, which is part of the type a personality type stuff. Um, but I always think that like at some point I could have been grittier. I could have been tougher. I fit. And so I ran the last five miles of that race and I ran it and I passed no lie in the last five miles. I think I passed eight different runners to come in. Um, my pacer was telling me if you run any faster than this, I am not going to be able to keep up with you. Um, and my pacers are good runner. It's not like I like, had some some scrub off the street trying to like trying to pace <laughs> um i i finished really strong like i i had a top five strava segment for that like of all the people that have ever run that segment um it it, it was like i finished very strong um in the miles preceding that i had like been building and like working hard but I was still like, well, did I like 
I finished so strong. Maybe like I didn't like run hard enough earlier. Maybe I could have like been faster earlier. Maybe if this didn't happen, I was like, I don't know if the race went well. And I talked to, I literally had to talk to one of my buddies and I was like, well, I'm not trying to sound like a dick because he was there. I was like, but did I have a good race? And he's like, yeah, you had like a really good race. And I, he's like, that was a hard course. That was a hard race. And like, you ran very well. And I had to look back at um, past mountain races that I've done. And the most comparable was um, probably Virgil Crest when I ran. It was my first first 100 miler, but I was also 10 years younger. And I ran, I ran this race in like over an hour faster. Um, so like, I was like, oh, I guess like looking back on it, it probably was a good race. There are always things that you can change and there are always things that you can do better. And that's part of like the growth and that, that side of things. And there's always ways to be um, critical of yourself. But when it comes like right down to it, like how do you like properly um, evaluate what your performance was and how, and how that, do that you goes. Find, do you find yourself doing that to all aspects of your life or just, just athletics? Like how I can do, oh no, I do that everywhere. Me too. Yeah, like because as you were talking, I was thinking, I, I literally do that with every single aspect of my life. And when I was going through paramedic school, I remember my my best friend telling me, she said, "Let it go. It doesn't matter." She goes, "When you are working, whether you're in a hospital or an ambulance, she goes, nobody is gonna be like, are you the valedictorian of your class? But did you get? Did, what were your grades? Nobody freaking cares." And so going through school, I'm that nerd that if I get a 96, I'm like, what did I get wrong? And I, you know, I'm digging into all to the questions I got wrong. How come I didn't get a hundred? And I had that, I, I was that person. And I look back and I was like, Jesus, school was so hard. I should have just listened and skated by with like 75s. <laughs> um, but I, I, I just, I, I couldn't. And I don't know, knowing what I know now, if I could even, if, if I could still even do that, I'm always striving to do my best. And I don't know that I ever look back and just give myself a pat on the back. I mean, and maybe that's why we have each other and we have people in our lives that support us because we're certainly not going to do that for ourselves. Oh, yeah. yeah good, good job. And good job doing, doing this. Good job on, on making it through that. I, I just sort of look at it and go, how could I have improved and then move on to the next thing, which is not a very, I'm not advocating this is a healthy manner of being. I think there should be some moments where you look back at yourself and go, God damn, I had a good race. Or look at that. I nailed it. That I did so awesome. Um, there needs, there probably needs to be more of that for both of us. It sounds like. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I, and, there's certain aspects where it plays out more than others. Like you, you were talking about school and I was like, oh, last time I was like in going through school, I was like, I will like work hard, but I don't really care what the, see, like, yeah. see, I don't I care. I have issues. I, um, Cause, I actually. Cause when I, I, when I was, when I was looking at like the comparisons to the other people in the class, I was like, oh, I'm, this is, we're, we're not talking, we're. 
and that was just the class that I was in. And maybe if I was in a more competitive class, it would have been a different story. But I was like, oh, we're... See, I think at least for paramedic school, I didn't feel competitive um, towards my classmates. If anything, a group of us sort of bonded together. Let's call, you know, let's say we're all the smart kids. Right? Yeah. And then and then we and then we help each other. Like it was very like we really supported. We really supported each other. Um, but I have been. Um, I've been out of school for a while now, and I recently just signed up to take two more classes. Um, and it's and it's not towards a degree; it's just two classes that um, two classes that I thought would benefit my my current work. So I start I start in uh, November, yeah. and they finish in January. So so who knows? I, I again I I do I need these classes? No. Um, are they going to help me? Yes. Um, and maybe sometimes it would be good to just be able to chill out and say, yeah, I'm awesome. I don't need any more school, but I feel like I always have to be learning. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like, like a, in that regard to my current position, I, I tell people I'm not very good at my job. Um, I probably am pretty good at my job, but there's, there's just so many aspects to it that I don't feel comfortable with. And I don't know. Um, and I ask lots of questions and I try and I have to do things multiple times till to understand and to it's almost like I have to have mental muscle memory to like be able yeah. to. Oh, absolutely. Perform. Yeah, me too. Um, so. So I'll be going through stuff and processing work. And when something goes wrong or there's an issue with something that I've done. I want to know what it was and so I can correct it. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you there. But I'm constantly like, oh, something will happen or something or job will be like processed wrong. And I'm like, is that mine? Did I do that? Like, what did I do? Like, and I bet you, I mean, I'm sure for like all my, my workers, they like get super annoyed with that. And I feel, and I almost feel bad when something, people like, I, I do feel bad when something, when something that I did, but like, it could be something stupid. Like the, the other day I processed work and there, it, it was the holiday weekend and we have to go from when we process a certain amount of work, we process it from to cover Saturday, Sunday, Monday, cause we're not in. Right. So it has to be all, all the things. And then someone's like, it's a holiday weekend. And I like forgot to like do Tuesday too. Right. Like I forgot to process through Tuesday. And, um, and it was at the end of the day. And like, and I felt, I was like, oh God, I'm, I'm such an idiot. Like, you know, and it, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't anything like, no one was like, oh, you're so dumb. Like, but like, oh, that's the way I felt in, inside. I yeah. was like, oh, I got to do better. I got to do better. Got to be more aware. It's and, that internalized perfection that that can take it that can take us down on the flip side of the grit like if you don't acquiesce um it will it will take you down so uh, you know it's finding well how how hard do you actually need to be on yourself and i didn't listen through school and i busted my butt to to get straight a's does it matter does anybody care um i don't know if it matters i know nobody cares <laughs> It <laughs> cares. It doesn't, you know, um, did it make me a better therapist? Did it make me a better paramedic? Possibly. Maybe. Um, 
But I think what ultimately makes us as good at our jobs is just what you were talking about, being willing to just learn from your mistakes, ask questions, you know, know who's smarter than you in certain areas and, and learn from those people. Yeah, I think, I think being willing to learn is important in the aspect in, in all aspects of, of life. I mean, I think it's important in the aspect of, of training and the aspect of part of, part of mental grit is being able to, to say, I don't know it all. It's okay that I don't know it all. Yeah. How do I get to know more? Right. right? Like, and that, and that comes like, that's why, like, that's why even though I'm a coach, I still have a coach, right? Like yeah. that's why, um, even though I might train people at work that I still have like a mentor at work that I would like go and, and try and bounce stuff off of the per person that like, I know has more knowledge than I do. Um, even if it's maybe in a specific area or another area or, or whatever, and it might be multiple people. Um, and being able to recognize that and to be able to continue to grow being, and being willing to continue to grow, I think that's all important aspects of, of a well-rounded life, a balanced life. Yeah, that sounds nice. Doesn't it? It's all uh, words. Words of wisdom from Sean. Butterflies and or no, excuse me, zebras and zebras and rainbows. It's all zebras, zebras and, and rainbows, babe. Zebras and rainbows. <laughs> Did I now? Okay, so we're we're close to winding up, and the song I picked today had actually nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but it totally fits in. So I'm kind of proud of myself. Good job, Meg. I know. Speak See, yeah. See, thank you. I need that praise. I really do. Cause I was getting really hard on myself for a while. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of music, just a little side note. I got to see Bob Weir in the Wolfpack. Oh yeah. And it was fucking awesome. You're very hard on Bob Weir too. No, I love Bob Weir. Have yeah. I, I've never, I don't think I've ever said yeah, anything. It was, you totally did the other day. It was when we were, because I was mentioning to you, I think we were talking on the phone that I had heard a really good version of Samson and Delilah on. Um, oh, that's just because that's not my, one of my particular favorite songs. Oh, I know. But you went, you, you did one of your, you did one of your diatribes on, uh, on, on Bob Weir's singing on that song. And I was like, dude, I just oh. like the song. And it was a really good live version <laughs> that I heard on the radio. <laughs> I let, I let you rant. And I was like, okay, he's not, not big fan of bob weir i uh, know i do i i like bob. his um and i'll and what i'll say is if you listen to right so since bob has come back with um dead and company over the mm -hmm. since i think 2017 um they've kind of been out bob's voice i don't know i don't know what he's doing but it has gotten progressively better year to year to year i mean he's still he's He's 75 effing years old. Um, and his voice. That, that, that blows my mind because I'll be listening to concerts from before I was born. And I have to like put that in perspective. Like I wasn't even alive. Yeah. And, and, there, and, and 
they're still out there. They're still out there performing at that at that level. Well, not not Jerry, but you know. Yeah. Other not, yeah. Um, it's it's different. The the sound is different. Um, and I've had I've had discussions with with people about about it's, I I argue that to a certain extent some of the musicianship is better. Some of them, some of the people that I've discussed with, they're like, yeah, but like, that's because they're not all high. And I was like, oh, I, yeah, like that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily make it better that they were like, all <laughs> like, right, I'm like, right, right. Some, some of the, like, some of the boundaries that they pushed fucking amazing. And some of the, no, and, yeah. and some, and some of the recordings, like there are some classic Grateful Dead shows that are, that are better than anything you'll ever ever hear again um but some of the new stuff like john mayer is like a phenomenal guitarist and like really he really is i like him i i saw him i saw him touring with the dead and company i can't remember how long ago it was but people you know initially people were were, were giving him you know we're, we're yeah. giving everybody shit about having but i i think he does i think he does great and jeff clemente like is an amazing keyboardist and pianist and phenomenal but anyways so yeah bob weir and the wolf 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 brothers or wolf pack i guess is now so it had some like horns and stuff and he has a horn section now fucking really really good best weather report suite i've heard i mean since they probably stopped playing the whole thing in like the mid 70s um and it just became let it grow anyways that's my yeah random nerdy well, that rant for the we, day we were talking and we we probably are due another another music show um but i took my daughter to to see greta van fleet and yep. her, i will her, i i will go on a diatribe about that if you really want me to not a fan oh you don't like oh my god i freaking love them no i don't want to hear it because i think they're amazing but <laughs> totally don't want to hear it. The, yeah the, nothing nothing seeing, derivative about them at all See, seeing, but but seeing my twelve-year-old, I love her being exposed to like rock concerts, like mm -hmm. loud rock concerts. I mean, there was massive pyrotechnics, um, just just really really cool stuff, and um, and it was it, it was just it was just fun to have to have my kid with me and enjoying that show. So, so the the song I picked today um, is actually based on. I got it. I got the idea from the from the song we did last week. So, or last uh, podcast. So last podcast, um, I picked the Dropkick Murphys two sixes upside down, and we were talking about um, various artists going into the Woody Guthrie archives and mm -hmm. recording their songs. So uh, this week, I'm going with Ellis Paul's God's Promise, and. Ellis Paul basically did the same thing that many other musicians and, and the Dropkick Murphys did. Um, Nora Guthrie invited Ellis Paul to come out to, uh, to the Guthrie archives in New York. And, you know, he, he fiddled around um, all of Woody's, you know, drawings and scraps of paper and lyrics and, uh, and all that, you know, all that he had. And um, so this song, God's Promise, Woody kind of pilfered it loosely from from a Bible verse um, and made it made it into made it into his own song. And 
it's it's really cool. I, I really like I really like how the Guthrie family has has allowed artists to do this. And just just in case you don't know a little bit of not you, Sean, I know you, I know you do, but listeners, um, Woody Guthrie um, died of Huntington's chorea, a very um, very tough degenerative nerve disease, and he was basically living in a hospital for the last I think God it was like fifteen years of his life, um, just just degrading. And, and it was, it's, it, it was truly a, truly a horrible way for this man to die. But this song, God's promise is the message of the song is life is tough, sort of embracing the Buddhist concept of suffering. Let's not go there, Sean, but we'll, we're probably on the same page here, but embracing the Buddhist concept of suffering and saying that life is hard. And if we don't embrace the tragic if we don't embrace the tough, if we don't embrace the unfair, um, then we're never going to be able to experience joy on the flip side. So I totally love this song. I love what um, Woody did, or excuse me, what Ellis Paul did with Woody Guth Guthrie's lyrics. So I hope you like it. Yeah. And uh, until next week. Until next week, Megan. Until next week. See you or next weekend. Two weeks or whatever, whenever we get together. I think, it's next, I think it's next week, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know much these days. Either way, I'll I'll say I'll talk to you soon. Yes. Until then. All right, All right later, Sean.
with no labor, no struggles, no tears, no earthquakes, no dry spells, no fire flames, no droughts, no slaving, no hunger, no blizzards, no blight. Dancers, prince.